we've never seen anything like this in industry. We've never seen anything in, in distribution and retail like this before. Everyone is their own storefront if they want to be. This is a strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Strategy Inside Everything. This is going to be a great conversation today. Uh, for once, it is not born of Twitter. So everybody listening should be happy. We'll get a little break from that. Uh, but this is going to be exciting. I have Grant Owens, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Critical Mass. Grant, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. We've been we've been catching up this morning already and uh, kind of trading stories and that We've been having almost too much fun to remember to start recording. So <laughs> I know your calendar's packed. I wanted to make sure we actually hit record and got going here. I appreciate it. Hey, Grant, um, can you do me a favor and run everybody through uh, the background, the high notes of your career, and just tell them how you got to be uh, where you are at Critical Mass? Yeah, of course. Uh, happy to. And, and thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, so I guess I just entered my 20th year of agency life. Um, Came out to New York right from uh, school and started with a small design agency of about 50 people. And uh, that was their, sort of the first dot-com boom. Um, and it and it rolled into a bunch of other companies, a lot of larger agencies, worked for EuroRCG uh, for a time and then worked for Razorfish for 11 years. And uh, this has just entered my fourth year with Critical Mass. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've always kind of been on the digital side. Uh, and it was, I really was a product of my time. When I came out in 99, I was doing some coding, doing an internship for Procter & Gamble, publishing uh, the Cincinnati Enquirer, the, the local newspaper online, uh, and sort of got my hands in on that. So like a lot of folks that came out of school at that time, we moved into the digital space. Yeah, it was like right place, right time, huh? Totally. Yeah, very lucky. I think for people that uh, are coming into the industry now to not understand... I, I, my first couple internships and things, they were still doing um, stat cameras and board mechanicals. And, you know, then we started using the internet. Yeah. I don't think people understand if someone's been in the business around 20 years, 99, pretty much every, every company had a website. Well, maybe not, but the bigger ones all did. Yeah. And that um, entry for for professionals into figuring out how the web is going to work is so much different shape and size than, than what we have today. Yeah. It, it, it really, I'm, we were, I was just, we were at the throes of that moment um, in time. Some people know this story, but when I was 19 years old, we were presenting to the, the CEO of Procter and Gamble on a project that we did as interns because you had a generation of executives wanting to learn what the next generation knew about digital and man, how, how lucky can you get to, to be with that, have that experience at such a young age? Yeah. That exposure is huge. Yeah. It was awesome. And, and you know, what's, what's funny that I did not intend to do that segue, but it does tie right into our topic because that level of exposure from you as an intern, and I had the same, the same experience where just by being a little younger and, and exposed to the tools, I was brought in to show some of the older, uh, more seasoned people at the agency or at brands, how is this all going to connect? Yep. That was still the kind of gatekeeper, well, the CEO grant wants to see you and you get a chance, you get 40 minutes to showcase what you've done in the context of this one project. 
Yeah. So you had a chance to knock their socks off or, or not. But today, pretty much anybody with a, with a phone gets that same chance for exposure That's right. using uh, Instagram, TikTok, whatever tools they want to use. That's absolutely right. I mean, you, I, I think I had a distinct advantage because I did a little HTML and, and, you know, you needed to know it then to kind of knew to know how it worked, how it worked and then how to, how to apply it to things. Um, you know, and, and we were kind of testing things. We had that environment in college in particular, where you had time to test things out, see how they work, play around with them, where companies that were doing their nine to five regular job didn't have the time on the side to figure those things out necessarily. So we offered companies a chance to, as you said, and, and you did kind of look at a different angle and think about how it would affect the business. Yeah. And how do you think um, coming in through Razorfish, I mean, you were there for over a decade during a really crazy time. I mean, you were there during the, the 2.0 era, the transition yeah. from brochureware digital through social. It, I've seen a lot. I mean, the other, the other really fortunate aspect of the time that I've worked in the agency environment as there, is that there's been so much volatility. So I've seen the ups and downs. I've seen the mergers and acquisitions. I, you know, for a period of time at Razorfish, we were owned by Microsoft, um, right. one of the stranger things, uh, and then owned by Publicis. And so I've seen the shifts in the holding companies. All those experiences have, um, I mean, what a, what a free education um, that I've been getting in how business works because it has changed so much in that time. The shifts of, of the services we offer on the digital side um, the growth of, of digital agencies and, and, and digital consultancies. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a good ride. Yeah. I mean, do you, I, I remember uh, going to, I don't know if it was Amazon, but some one of those early e-commerce sites and thinking there is no way I'm putting my credit card in this thing. And now it's like, oh, face ID, you just paid for your coffee. I mean, I'm like, all right, take my social security number. Just go ahead. Yeah. We got it. I know you're going to, I know you're going to get hacked or, or leave it, you know, published on the web somewhere in a server. And it's like, all right, well. Well, do you remember? Yeah. And do you remember the days when you used to cross shop for price? Yeah. <laughs> remember those? Yeah. Those were years ago. And now yeah. it's just like, well, you assume that Amazon right. is going to give you rock bottom uh, pricing and therefore let's just hit click click to purchase. Do you think that's a function of being older? I'm just like, I value my time more where I'm, I say, well, it will be close enough for blues. If I, if I order this and I save a dollar or if I spend an extra dollar, it won't kill me. I mean, if it was a TV, it'd be a different thing, but for, yeah, I wonder. Yeah. For, for, for a book or for some toothpaste or something, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I think if I look at all the ways that Amazon has gotten their claws into me, uh, it's, it's unbelievably powerful. We've never seen anything like this in industry. We've never seen anything in, in distribution and retail like this before. So I think there's a lot of factors at play that cause a lot of us to just click the purchase right away and assume that we've, we don't need to do the cross shopping. Yeah. I mean, especially for that, for the Amazon brand that has ubiquity and, you know, hundred percent awareness, probably I, yeah. I haven't done a study, but I would imagine it's, it's in the Pretty high nineties. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that infrastructure though, because um, you were, you were, um, sharing some articles with me and we were talking before about disposable brands and yeah. how easy the infrastructure created by the giants, by Google, by Amazon. If you have AWS, if you have a Shopify account for 12 bucks a month, really, if you, the hardest part is getting a following or getting the attention. Yeah. 
Well, I, th I think, as you were saying, the, the, the barriers to creating a brand have dropped decidedly. Um, what it takes, you know, a thousand dollar drone and a, and a thousand dollar DSLR, and you have what feels like um, full production company quality experiences. And, and we've seen that across multiple industries. So all these factors at play, um, disruptors that are looking at old industries and where they make a margin and how to, how to eke out um, a margin from them uh, or how, how to interrupt them. And then taking, you know, consumer grade tools that feel professional grade to, to the, uh, to the untrained eye and, and launching a brand. It's, it's really unprecedented what we've seen brands be able to do in such a short period of time. Almost when you, when you talk about consumer grade tools and the untrained eye, I, I really don't even notice it except in cinema. Cinema yeah. is the only time my critical eye cares. If yeah. I'm watching a TV show and I can tell that it was shot on digital and maybe I'm like, oh, I could see the edges. I could feel the, the digital edge there versus the, the film grain. I don't care. Netflix show. I'm good with it. When, I'm, yeah. when I paid my 12 bucks to sit in a theater, I want to see, I would, don't want to feel that feeling. D completely. And, and, and I, I love the shifts that are happening. There's a fascinating statistic uh, a couple of years ago. I was sitting, sitting through um, PwC presenting their media outlook report. And they shared that there were more films created in Nigeria than the U.S. So uh, if you look it up, you'd be, you'd be shocked to see it's called Nollywood. Uh, so instead of Bollywood or Hollywood, it's Nollywood. Um, and, and you have people with, with access to technology now with, you know, creative inspiration producing films. And, and it's really quite awesome what, what we've enabled um, the average person to go do. And, and create. Uh, uh, but if you're a brand, you know, there's a downside to that because if you're a legacy brand, you're, you risk getting displaced. Well, let's, let's dive in there because what, so you, you've been with the big guys, you've seen P and G from the inside, you were at a holding company that was uh, owned by Microsoft. So you've, you've been inside there. I've worked at Verizon and seen it as well. These legacy brands are now in this weird position where on the one side you have uh, influencers or creators or individuals. Let's just take influencer out of there because I think it's too tinged, but individuals who have fashion sense or style, and now they have the capability to, uh, they have reach capabilities and the means for production are cheap and easy. And they can kind of essentially just piggyback on everything that already exists. On the other side, you have these giant legacy brands that always seem to be stretching this way towards, towards the individual to try to um, steal the cultural import. Mm -hmm. how, how should they be thinking about it without giving away the advantages they have? And do the advantages they have matter? The advantages they have, I think, matter less and less. And it's just it's proven out over time. I think it was you know in the mid-50s and 60s, the average tenure of a Fortune 500 company was something like 60 years. And in 2015, the average tenure of a Fortune 500 company, I think, was 10 or 11 years or, or maybe 15 years. I mean, it's we're seeing globalization. We're seeing access to, to creation, like, like you were talking about, that has challenged everything that sort of legacy large industry had built, had, had spent capital expenditures on 
getting displaced or, or the chance of being displaced. So I think legacy brands have to do a little bit of, a little bit of both. My, my advice would be um, to work on both ends of that, to work on the economies of scale, but to also, you know, think big, but, but back, act small. Um, and that's what we see disruptive brands doing. They act very small and that gives them a, a, an, an initial advantage. Well, um, I think it's a lot of the articles that we were reading, there was, um, you know, influencers who had an eye for style and eye for uh, fashion began creating their own looks, began creating their own product for themselves. And then essentially people would come to them and say, hey, I really like that thing you created. May I, can I buy one for you? Can I have a piece for a show? Can I do X, Y, and Z? Holy crap. That is not unlike the executives at P&G coming to you and saying, Grant, I really like this website project you're working on. Would you come show it to the team? Because yeah. it's very similar and weird. Yeah. I mean, it, it, everyone is their own storefront if they want to be. Um, and I think that's what has shaken up, as you, as you were calling it, kind of the disposability of brands. Um, and, and also, if you look at just how much data we've driven into evaluating or, or, or measuring the success of a brand or a product or even a campaign, um, we can measure almost in real time whether something's popping in culture. And if it's, if it's not, shut it down. So you could, you could imagine a day where, that we get to where a brand's lifespan is a week or a month, depending on whether or not it's taking hold. Um, and are you talking about, uh, let's, let's, let's define the word brand. Uh, are you talking about a corporate brand as part of a legacy brand or an upstart brand? Like a product brand, you know, yeah. you know, Mar Mars company is creating Snickers. Got it. Um, but Snickers, you know, the, the analog to a Snickers could come and go if it didn't take hold. And, and we've got sort of this short-term thinking that's been driven through industry from, from the street and that quarterly focus that we have. And if, if something's not working, we have the means and the measurement to, to shut things down or throw gas on them if they are. And I think the speed at which that turnover is happening is, is uh, unprecedented. Yeah, it's, it, that's part of the, uh, the fail faster mantra. Yeah. It's almost become, you know, from P&G or from Mars or a, or a huge conglomerate, that type of failure. They would have done three years of market research to confirm that that new candy bar, or that new food product would be successful. Yeah. But they've bought into the tech mindset of go, you know, fail fast, break things, and we'll just pull it off the market, which, which is not helping them in the grand scheme of things because they're creating gaps in the shelf for new brands to come in. You know, if you look at all the milk substitutes, yeah, it's pretty wild each month to go in and see who's still there the next month. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, <coughs> if, you, if you think of companies like uh, Brandless, you know, creating a lot of those household CPG products, um, trying to take out the, the cost of marketing. Although you could argue um, it's ironic that it's called Brandless and, and they have an aesthetic and all that. Um, so it, it goes both ways. But but yeah, the, the turnover in that and the ability to enter a new product into the market um, and see if it works is is something that, you know, I think it's an awesome time to be a, a strategist or, 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 or a brand planner uh, because there's so much volatility. It, it, you're constantly on your toes about, you know, if you're working with a legacy large brand, how could it be displaced? If you're working with a new startup, you know, what are the models that we could for you know, very low cost enter into the market with. Um, it's a fun time to be doing this work. 
It, yeah, it absolutely is because the, you can rewrite the book every single day with every single project that you that you take on. How important, I we used to think of awareness, um, my understanding of awareness has shifted quite a bit. We used to think of awareness in the Anheuser-Busch, you know, 80s, 90s, early 2000s era as uh, a U.S. citizens, adults, 18 to 34, 18 to 44, and, and we were shooting for this ubiquitous awareness like we were just, just talking about with uh, Amazon. But is, it doesn't, you only need awareness with your customer set, really, which is why, you know, if you have a good Instagram account and a good following, and I'm saying Instagram, but you have a good social presence and you have your own storefront, you can still create a brand that matters to people and, and is relevant to them. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the fragmentation of product has has kind of paralleled the fragmentation of media and and yeah the you know y'all i often think about that relationship to entertainment and media and you know will those big you know massive concert bands exist anymore will the beatles ever be replicated um because of the fragmentation of our of viewership and listening um and will monolithic brands ever be replicated will the one brand to rule them all in a category um be replicated. I, I I don't know. Um, it's a fascinating fascinating thing to think about. And for a brand to to make it to that level in this day and age, is is decidedly harder. Yeah, I, we can say with a hundred percent confidence that the Beatles will not be replicated. But <laughs> but but it's harder and harder. You see every year the Super Bowl can't find an act that yeah. is big enough for the audience, and it doesn't even make sense to have a band that big any other time during the year, except yeah. that one February Sunday where they, they need an act that'll please, you know, whatever the millions of people that are watching it. You mean Maroon 5 didn't do it for you? Uh, Maroon 5 was fine, but they, but they had to bring on some, you know, they, now you <laughs> see every time they have two or three different yeah. bands pulling, you know, the Red Hot Chili Peppers have to be trotted out because there's guys <laughs> that are 40 plus that are like, oh, okay, I know that. That's good. <laughs> I don't know who this Bruno Mars guy is, but, <laughs> right? And he, he was great, but I hadn't, I was not exposed to him until then. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Do you think the, you, you just kind of blew my mind the way you just flipped through that idea of, um, will we ever have another, another Beatles and where, where my brain started going was, is it a function of business potential capability? You know, are companies able to generate that sort of product and brand that are interesting enough or do as consumers as humans do we just not care and i'm not loyal and it doesn't matter because amazon will reward me with the next thing that will solve the task that i need or the emotional need that i have it's a great that's a great question i think one huge factor in product marketing that that i'm seeing is the factor of of data uh, things like user reviews ratings. Here's a thought. Um, do brands need to exist in their current form when consumers have perfect information? So if you go back to like the you know, freshman year economics class and the idea of perfect information, if you had perfect information, the market would satisfy itself and, and customers would know exactly the best product to get at the exact best price. And, and if you think in a way you know, Amazon basics or private label products with great user reviews and ratings are just that. And so that's removing the equity that brands have spent decades trying to create um, and just putting it out to, to the market to satisfy that 
that demand. Um, it's a, it's a fascinating concept to me because, you know, we see our clients and we work with big blue chip clients spending money on building brand equity that if they're not careful in, a, in certain categories, particularly commodities, um, can be stripped out of the, out of the, out of the category instantaneously. Yeah, and I, I've read different reports on those Amazon basic products and loyalty uh, and sales numbers that it, it, from most accounts, it does not sound like they're highly successful. They are just successful enough to make it hard for their partners to yeah. sell at the levels they need to sell at to make an Amazon venture uh, profitable for them or, or is pro- hit their goals, I should say. Uh, so that really is an interesting thing, but because who... As a, as a parent of two kids and trying to save 30 cents where I can, like, I don't really care if it's, if it's uh, arm and hammer toothpaste or Amazon basics. I just need something to put in the drawer for when I reach for it. Yeah. I mean, and, and imagine in certain categories, um, like I, I was talking to a client the other day and we were and Amazon comes up nearly every week in our, in our uh, relationships, just talking about the effect that it's having. And if you go on Amazon, today and you search for digital cameras, you get 60,000 results. And if right. you go into Alibaba, you get hundred, I think it's 125, 126,000 results. So with that in mind, you know, then you, then you start to sort by quality and quality and that frame of reference is often reviews. Yep. Um, and, and, and the algorithm kind of takes over. And I was thinking about how, like, if you're Sony and, and, and three or four decades ago, you were pouring money into the equity of your brand, that every Sony product is a quality product, you know, did that, is that investment paying off in today's day and age? And it's, it's a challenge. Oh, uh, I would, I would argue, though, know, Sony is still living off of the investment they made in the 90s yeah. into that brand halo. I, they're only alive because of that money they invested in the brand so that people over 30 understand that it's, that Sony means quality or meant quality. Uh, we just bought headphones. Uh, I bought a new set of running headphones and I went to Amazon because I'm trained to do that. And every result was a brand I had never heard of. They're all, you know, we, we were talking about uh, starting your own brand and your own store from, from the point of like fashion and, and t-shirts and style. Yeah. But if you're a Chinese factory, they are spinning up new brands and new products that are making pretty, pretty good products and getting them here for dirt cheap. It was 20 brands I never heard of. And then three that I had, you know, uh, Monster and uh, Beats and uh, probably Sony was in there. And I was trying to be objective and say, well, what, what if I, let's, let's try to get to perfect information. How would I do this? You know, and I started looking at reviews. It's an insane challenge. You know, do I, I only need brand. I don't really care brand, about brands. I ended up buying a pair that had good reviews and not a brand that I had ever heard of. I don't even know what, what it is. Um, but I wonder going back to my toothpaste analogy, I kind of need Crest to tell me what the value of the, Amazon basics is. Okay. I need, I need one that's a benchmark. Yeah. Benchmark. Yeah. Right. And like, I only know if Kia is the right car for me once I go see the Maserati and go like, Oh, that's a beautiful car, but it costs four times as much. Right. Mm-hmm. Or eight times as much. Maybe but <laughs> I haven't shopped for a Maserati, <laughs> but you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. I mean, it's almost like, um, 
you know, the idea of retail footprint po poaching, it's, it's these other brands that have created the benchmarks for us that, that we then go shop another brand that cuts it on cost or, or has proven out uh, higher quality based on user reviews. It's, it's tough for legacy brands in that sense. Um, you, you see the same thing in automotive. I worked, I worked in automotive, automotive for quite some time and even in automotive luxury, the Honda Accord is constantly cross-shopped because it represents a benchmark for what twenty-five dollars to $30,000 should get you. Right. And, um, and safety and performance. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a known entity. It's a known quantity of quality, of, of, of price, of functionality. Um, so people are shopping Mercedes and BMWs and Lexuses against the Honda Accord, just to your point, to see where the, where the benchmark is. Yeah. And to that point, it probably kills Honda because they go, well, with, if I go and look at the three series or, you know, the entry level of each of those luxury makers, I go, well, for another seven grand, I can, right. I can have that logo on my car. That's pretty sweet. That's right. And, and on the flip side, if you, if you take that analogy of you shopping for headphones, well, okay. So I see the Sony ones for, you know, $40, but for the same quality of user, according to the user reviews for the same quality, I can get those other ones for $20. Right. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's quite eroding to brands. Yeah. And when you buy one of those products and I've done, I've tried this a lot. When you, buy, <laughs> when you buy one of those brands you've never heard of, the first thing when you open the box is, do you like these? Go leave a review. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the English is not translated well. Sometimes it's beautiful and, and really well done, but it always is doing that. Whereas if you go and buy a product from a legacy brand, it might be in there now in 2019, but it is probably third or fourth, you know, the quick start kit is on top and, a you know, a register this product and then third or fourth thing might be leave us a review if you have time, please. Yeah. It, it, the other, the other factor you find there, and we've seen it in a couple of our client categories, um, brands I can't, I can't name, but the, the counterfeit problem is extremely real on Amazon. Um, yeah. we had a client that, um, whose product was being sold counterfeit on Amazon and it, and it, it was such a, a close facsimile of the real product that, um, the people would call in to their own customer service and, if it wasn't working, ask for a refund. And then the client had to say through, through a couple hours of effort, figure out that it's not actually a real product of theirs and tell the person that they have a counterfeit. And just imagine the cost to the genuine brand of doing that level of business and customer service for a counterfeit product. It's, it's outrageous. Yeah. And it still hurts their brand. The experience that customer got is still reflected on the brand and not the yeah. counterfeiter. Yeah. That, that they can't get the counterfeit product off the shelves. Uh, and, you know, I, I think I'm not speaking out of turn here. I think a lot of customer categories or, or, or company categories would say Amazon's not doing a good enough job policing that. And I know they're trying, um, but it's a very real issue. And, and in this in this world you were describing with all those products available to you, um, a lot is getting eroded because of that. Yeah, it's breaking down everything. Yeah, totally. There was this story going around. Um, there was another... Uh, an Instagram star who had started her own line and kind of followed that same trajectory uh, that, that we were talking about earlier, where she decided to create her own line of t-shirts. Uh, it's called ERA. And I think you've heard this story. She has 2.6 million followers, but she failed to sell 36 t-shirts. Uh, and I think the time frame that they were quoted was two weeks and it was considered a fail. And, you know, social media went crazy critiquing this girl and making fun of her. Hmm. 
And one of the questions that I haven't seen an update on the story, but why is two weeks the threshold? Like why is, so she, she has 2.2 million followers. That's great. She sold 36 units. That's terrible. But I guess she, at some point she said, well, I guess this isn't going to work. The, the media called it a wake up call here on business insider. Um, like, so how disposable are we talking about when we're talking about brands? Is, is that, you know, she ordered these t-shirts and they didn't sell immediately and she wasn't on the Ellen show. And so that's it. She should retire from creating products or what? That doesn't sound quite right. I don't, I don't know if I'd encourage her to quit altogether, but, um, but yeah, I think that is the speed at which we're, we're often moving, um, what pops in culture pops for a matter of hours, uh, and, and goes away. Yeah. Do you, do you remember, have you heard of the Amazon code? Like if, if you say to someone in New York, uh, particularly say a, a woman between the ages of 20 and, and 50, Hey, do you have the Amazon code? Um, they would know exactly what you meant. So it's this coat that, and I have no idea what the brand is. It's uh, it's a, it's a, it's a no name brand, but it started selling just because of the look of it, the design of it. And it became so popular last winter um, that I couldn't walk to work without seeing it. This seen 10 of them. Yeah. Um, and I, my wife would be ashamed that I'm telling you, telling this on a podcast, but um, she got one after seeing after a friend of hers got one because she liked it, and that's yeah. it, it kind of took over. It was a, it was a viral uh, phenomenon, and she stopped wearing it because it became so common in in a in a fraction of a season. That's insane. I mean, it, was really, it was like a, it was like a mayfly. It had like a, a a one a one week lifespan in Manhattan, and, and that's a successful brand. Totally. So, successful. so so the opposite. You know this this uh, example I was giving you didn't sell this poor company has a hit on their hands and they're going to be next year trying to figure out what they're going to do because no one's going to want this damn jacket because now everybody has one. Yeah. I mean, if you just do it, if anyone does a Google search for the Amazon coat, it will immediately appear and you will see dozens of articles about this massive phenomenon that happened in, in, in a couple weeks time span. <laughs> I live in a place where we don't have coats, so I, I'm not familiar with the Amazon. Fair, fair enough. They but were everywhere. Uh, trust me, they were everywhere out here. I will. Uh, I will add a link for sure. Not so, today, though. It's it's 93 in New York today. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, the Amazon coat is put away uh, for good. Yeah, I think that's probably that's probably right. Well, do you think brands that um, you know we've for a long time we had media burnout or overexposure? Um, and you know you still you still think about that a little bit, and that Amazon coat story can that be true of of products too? Like I think of going back to headphones, I think of Beats, where everybody had the same over the year pair of headphones, and then kind of Beats became too popular, too common. So now there's ten other varieties of things that are almost identical to Beats, but they don't have the B on them. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a very real. Um, thing happening in a lot of categories is not just apparel, but but certainly that's a that's one where it happens, and it's it's sort of it's part and parcel to that industry. But I do think that you know brand overexposure um, is is a challenge, and brands I think are constantly marching that line between being um, you know being exclusive enough to feel special, um, but not so special that everyone has to have one. Right. Yeah, I guess there I guess that brands that can do that. I mean, I you you know you look at an Apple as an example, of course, um, 
and their ability to sort of democratize premium products is is pretty pretty impressive. It's amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And then I look at Burberry and taking that pattern and you know be going from being an exclusive, you know, couture brand and putting it on everything and essentially licensing it across everything almost to the point where you go through Target and you'll see that that pattern. Yeah. And now it's faded away again. Yeah. And so I don't know what place that holds in culture. Is it now a luxury brand again, or are they trying to go back to exclusivity? And is now do I look at, I kind of look at it almost like as a cop-out, like, well, you tried to cross the line. It worked for two seasons. And now what did that do to the brand in the long term? Or I don't know what the long term even means anymore. Maybe two years is the long term. <laughs> well, you, you raise a good point. Uh, another factor that, that I've seen in licensing, you know, if it, it's like the perfect storm of timing with brands, legacy brands, say from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s that started licensing and then the rise of digital consumerism. Um, I'll tell you a quick story, an example of this. Um, my brother-in-law was shopping for a, a riding lawnmower. And I had always, we were talking about it and I had always had in my mind that uh, John Deere riding lawnmowers really retain their value. So, and it's true, if you go today and you look for a used John Deere, it's often three, four, five, six hundred dollars uh, more premium used than uh, the next closest brand or, or a midstream brand. Uh-huh. They're just considered quality. So we were looking at them and he was going to buy a new one. And I said, well, hey, you know, you might pay a little more for the John Deere, but if you ever want to sell it, it it'll hold that's hold its value. Turns out um, there's actually two types of John Deere riding lawnmowers in the world right now. There are oh, the, no. those that are licensed and have a Briggs and Stratton motor inside of them. And they're sold through Lowe's and Home Depot and others. And then there's the true drop John Deere. Right. You have to and, go to the dealer, the John Deere dealership. Yeah, you have to go to the dealer. And and it's and it's you know, it's John Deere through and through, if you will. And with digital consumerism, that's been found out. So the the idea of perfect information, the idea of access to the reviews, the idea of knowing what's on the inside because we are more informed as consumers, um, bad timing, bad timing for a brand like John Deere to <laughs> put put a non-John Deere. Uh, motor in that thing, right? Yeah. Well, the, on the one hand, I say, well, they they have a half of their probably more of what's on the. I was going to say on the street, but more of what's being used is the inferior product, and almost that makes me feel better about the quality of the brand in a weird way because I go, yeah, but if I get the original one, that mm-hmm. is still the gold standard of riding mowers. Interesting. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting way to look at it. That's a very informed viewpoint. <laughs> it's a very overthinking viewpoint, I would say. That's, well, that's I guess good. the question will be in ten years when when my brother in law he didn't buy in the buying that one by the way, but when the person goes to sell that John Deere, does it still command a premium? And if the answer is no, right, they've got a problem on their hands. Yeah, it'll have to erode. And maybe if you're John Deere, you're saying, we don't want a healthy resale market. We want to go into forced obsolescence like tech because we want to sell more new units yeah. and move more units through Lowe's and Home Depot. Yeah. Which it, is gross. And if you look at a lot of those categories, we were shopping for outdoor furniture recently, and it's the same product with five or six different labels on it. Yes. So you can find it in five or six different stores all said to be designed by a different designer. Yep. It's exact same. Yeah. We love doing the thing where you go to Wayfair and then you try to see if you could find it through image matching on like uh, Target or Walmart. Yeah. You can almost always find it between the big box stores. You can find it at three out of seven of them. Exactly. Every, every single product. And it's off yep. by 10 bucks depending on your zip code, essentially. You know? Yep. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, the companies, manufacturing companies aren't doing themselves any favors right now in, in a volatile brand environment. No, they're, they're trying to cash in in the same way that I think this, a lot of the influencer stories are where we can make money now. Let's try to strike while the iron's hot. And it's not that they're not thinking about the future. It's that there is no future to consider. Like this, we only have two weeks to make our mark. Let's go yeah. make it. And then we'll move on to the next thing and figure out what that is. Yeah, that's true. And I, and you know, I think we're going to go through an era of brand erosion for, for all the reasons we've been discussing. But at some point, and I don't know when it'll be, maybe it's a decade, maybe it's two, we'll come back. We'll come back to what, what connotes quality, what connotes a known entity. Because mm-hmm. I think there is going to be, you know, if there's 125,000 125, digital cameras available on, on Alibaba, it's paralyzing. And we do need, I think as a, as a consumer base, we do need the brands that we know, we know and trust, but they're going to have to clean up things like licensing. They're going to have to clean up things like counterfeit. They're going to have to clean up things like um, partnership deals that have gone too far a stream from what they're normally, what they normally do and stand for something again. Yeah. I think that's a great place to, uh, to leave it. Uh, I, this is fun. This was a lot of fun chatting about this. Yeah, same. Really appreciate it. Thank you for making time on this uh, hot 93 degree day. I, I know you won't be seeing any Amazon coats today. We will not, but do a search. You'll find it. It's uh, <laughs> popular. Where can people find you online, Grant? Uh, mostly Grant Owens. Uh, at Twitter, you can find me at Grant Owens. Um, that's probably the, the easiest. Awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, once again, I I really appreciate you making an hour for me. Hey, Adam. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Very good. Cheers. Your feedback means everything. Send us a tweet at Apierno or at strategy underscore inside. Leave us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to. And please, please, please share this podcast with your friends. Let people know you like it and send people you want to be guests our way. We would love to hear more. The Strategy Inside Everything is produced and hosted by Adam Kierno. For information about the show or to find out how to be a guest, you can go to adampierno.com slash podcast. For information about Adam's books, Underthink It and Specific, or to find out how to invite Adam to be a speaker at an upcoming event, please go to adampierno.com slash speaker. Thanks for listening.